Angai, and welcome to a brand new episode of Folksy, the podcast where we explore the world through the lens of folk literature. That's the traditional greeting from Eskimo culture. Like I teased at the end of last episode, this time we're visiting colder climates with a treasury of Eskimo tales. And surprise, surprise, this collection is also pinned by the same vivacious author who brought us last week's story, Clara Kern Bayless. Sadly, I couldn't really find much of a background for Miss Bayless online, even though her husband Alfred does get a mention on Wikipedia as an educator. Gender-biased attitudes aside, today's collection is simply brilliant, and I didn't even have to research much of Eskimo culture for it. Yep, it's time for one of my beloved author-written prefaces. And the first chapter is basically an extension of the preface here, so we'll be covering the second tale as well. Fun! By the way, stick around to the end this time for a much, much more dramatic preview of what awaits next week. <laughs> so, without further ado, let's dive into a treasury of Eskimo tales. A Treasury of Eskimo Tales by Clara K. Bayliss Preface The central Eskimo live away up north in that great American archipelago which lies between Hudson Bay, Baffin Bay and the Arctic Ocean. An archipelago in which the islands are so large, so numerous and so irregular in outline that as one looks at a map of them, he could fancy they were chunks of the continent which had been broken to pieces by some huge iceberg that bumped into it. The land is icebound during so much of the year that the inhabitants cannot depend upon getting a living by the cultivation of the soil and have to subsist almost entirely upon meat which they get from reindeer, seal, bear, whale and walrus. In summer, their clothing is of sealskin and fishskin, and in winter, it is of the thicker reindeer hides. Their life is a hard one, owing to the rigorous climate, and they make it harder by their superstitions, for diseases are supposed to be cured by charms and incantations of the shaman or priest, and everything in the way of hunting, fishing, cooking, or of clothing themselves must be done in a prescribed way, or it is taboo, or hoodoo, as the Negroes say. When you read The Baby Eskimo, you will see just a tiny bit of the hardships, but I should not like to tell you how much more terrible a time he might have had if he had happened to be a girl baby. Chapter 1. The Baby Eskimo The little Eskimo away up in the northern part of British America has a pretty hard time of it, as you may know when you think how cold it is there. He is born in a snow hut, and when he is but a few hours old, he is carried on his mother's back out upon the ice, and around and around in circles, and after a while through deep snow back to the hut. If that does not kill him, the names he gets are enough to do it. For he is given the names of all the people who have died in the village since the last baby was born. He sometimes has a string of names long enough to weigh any baby down. Worse than that 
if one of his relatives dies before he is four years old, that name is added to the rest and is the one by which he is called. Worse still, if he falls sick, he is given a dog's name so that the goddess Sedna will look kindly upon him. Then, all his life, he must wear a dog's harness over his inner jacket. If he should die, his mother must rush out of the house with him at once. If she does not do so, everything in the house must be thrown away or destroyed, just as is done when a grown person dies in a furnished house. For a whole year, his mother must wear a cap if she steps outside her door, and she must carry his boots about with her. After three days, she goes to his tomb and walks around it three times, going around to the left, because that is the way the sun travels. While she walks, she talks to the dead child and promises to bring him food. A year after his death, she must do this again, and she must do the same thing whenever she happens to pass near the grave. Now we shall tell you some of the tales which the Eskimo mothers relate to their children. The first one is about Kivyang, the Rip Van Winkle of the Eskimos. Chapter 2 Kivyang An old woman lived with her grandson in a small hut. She had no husband to take care of her and the boy, and they were very poor. The lad's clothing was made of the skins of birds which they caught in snares. Whenever the boy came out of the hut to play, the other boys would call, Here comes the bird boy! Fly away, birdie! And the men would laugh at him and tear his clothes. Only one man, whose name was Kiviyang, was kind to the boy and tried to protect him from the others. But they would not stop. The lad often came to his grandmother crying, and she would console him and promise him a new garment as soon as they could get the skins. She begged the men to stop teasing the child and tearing his clothes, but they only laughed at her. At last, she became angry and said to the boy, I will avenge you on your tormentors. I can do it by making use of my power to conjure. She poured water on the mud floor and said, Step into this puddle and do not be frightened at anything that happens. He stepped into it and immediately the earth opened and he sank out of sight. But the next moment, he rose near the beach and swam about as a young seal with a wonderfully smooth, shining skin. Someone saw him and called out that there was a yearling seal close to shore. The men all ran to their kayaks, eager to secure the beautiful creature. But the boy seal swam lustily away, as his grandmother had told him to do, and the men continued to pursue him. Whenever he rose to the surface to breathe, he took care to come up behind the kayaks, where he would splash and dabble in order to lure them on. As soon as he had attracted their attention and they had turned to pursue him, he would dive and come up farther out in the sea. The men were so interested in catching him that they did not observe how they were being led far out into the ocean and out of sight of the land. It was now that the grandmother put forth her powers. 
Suddenly, a fierce gale arose. The sea foamed and roared, and the waves upset their frail vessels and plunged them under the surface. When they were drowned, the little seal changed back into a boy and walked home over the water without wetting his feet. There was no one left now to torment him. Kiviyang, who had never abused the boy, had gone out with the rest. But his kayak did not capsize. Bravely he strove against the wild waves and drifted far away from the place where the others had gone down. There was a dense fog and he could not tell in which direction to go. He rode for many days, not knowing whither he was going. And then one day he spied through the mists a dark mass, which he took to be land. As he pulled toward it, the sea became more and more tempestuous. And he saw that what he had supposed to be a rocky cliff on an island was a wild black sea with a raging whirlpool in the midst of it. He had come so close that it was only by the utmost exertion he escaped being drawn into the whirlpool and carried down. He put forth all his strength and at last got away where the waves were less like mountains. But he had to be constantly on the alert, for at one moment his frail craft was carried high up on the crest of billows and the next it was plunged into a deep trough of the sea. Again he saw a dark mass looming up and rode toward it, hoping to find land. But again he was deceived, for it was another whirlpool which made the sea rise in gigantic waves. At last the wind subsided and the sea became less rough, though the whitecaps still frothed around him. The fog lifted and at a great distance he saw land, real land this time. He went toward it, and after rowing along the coast for some distance, he spied a stone house with a light in it. You may be sure he was delighted to come near a human habitation again. He landed and entered the house. There was no one in it but one old woman. She received him kindly and helped him to pull off his boots, and she hung his wet stockings on the frame above the lamp. Then she said, I will make a fire in the next room and cook a good supper. Kivyang thought that she was a very good woman and he was so hungry that he could scarcely wait for the supper. It seemed to him that she was a long time preparing it. When his stockings were dry, he tried to take them from the frame in order to put them on. But as soon as he touched the frame, it rose up out of his reach. He tried in vain several times, and each time the frame rose up. He called the woman in and asked her to give him his stockings. Take them yourself, she said. There they are, there they are, and went out again. Kivyang was surprised at the change in her manner. He tried once more to take hold of his stockings, but with no better result. Calling the woman in again, he explained his difficulty and said, Please hand me my boots and stockings. They slip away from me. 
Sit down where I sat you when you entered my house. Then you can get them, she replied and left the room. He tried once more, but the frame arose as before and he could not reach it. He knew now that she was a wicked woman and he suspected that the big fire she had made was prepared so she could roast and eat him. What should he do? He had seen that she could work magic. He knew that he could not escape unless he could surpass her in her own arts. He summoned his mascot, which was a huge white bear. At once, there was a low growl from under the house. The woman did not hear it at first. But Kiviyang kept on conjuring the spirit and it rose right up through the floor, roaring loudly. Then the old witch rushed in trembling with fear and gave Kiviyang what he had asked for. Here are your boots, she cried. Here are your slippers. Here are your stockings. I will help you put them on. But Kiviyang would not stay any longer with the horrid creature and dared not wait to put on his stockings and boots. He rushed out of the house and had barely gotten out of the door when it clapped violently together, catching the tail of his jacket, which was torn off. Without stopping to look behind, he ran to his kayak and paddled away. The old woman quickly recovered from her fear and came out swinging a glittering knife, which she attempted to throw at him. He was so frightened that he nearly upset his kayak. But he steadied it and arose to his feet, lifting his spear. I shall kill you with my spear, he cried. At that, the old woman fell down in terror and broke her knife, which she had made by magic out of a thin slab of ice. He travelled on for many days, always keeping near the shore. At last, he came to another hut, and again a lamp was burning inside. His clothing was wet and he was hungry, so he landed and went into the house. There, he found something very strange. A woman living all alone with her daughter. Yet the daughter was married and they kept the son-in-law in the house. But he was a log of driftwood which they had found on the beach. It had four branches like legs and arms. Every day about the time of low water, they carried it to the beach and when the tide came in, it swam away. When night came, it returned with eight large seals, two being fastened to each bow. Thus the log provided food for his wife, her mother and Kivyang, and they lived in abundance. Kivyang became rested and refreshed after his weary travels, and he enjoyed his life so well that he remained for a long time. One day, however, after they had launched the log as they had always done, it floated away and never came back. Then Kivyang went sealing every day for himself and the woman. And he was so successful that they wished him to remain with them always.
but he had not forgotten the home he had left long ago and meant to return to it. He was anxious to lay in a good stock of mittens to keep his hands warm on the long journey. And each night he pretended to have lost the pair he wore and the women would make him another pair from the skin of the seals he brought home. He hid them all in the hood of his jacket. Then one day, he too floated off with the tide and never came back. He rode on for many days and nights, always following the shore. During the terrible storm, he had been out of sight of land all he ever cared to be. At last, he came again to a hut where a lamp was burning and went to it. But this time, he thought it would be well to see who was inside before entering. He therefore climbed up to the window and looked through the peephole. On the bed sat a woman whose head and whose hands looked like big yellow and black spiders. She was sewing and when she saw the dark shadow before the window, she at first thought it was a cloud. But when she looked up and beheld a man, she grasped a big knife and arose, looking very angry. Kiviang waited to see no more. He felt a sudden longing for home and hastily went on his way. Again he travelled for days and nights. At last he came to a land which seemed familiar. And as he went farther, he recognised his own country. He was very glad to see some boats ahead of him. And when he stood up and waved and shouted to them, they came to meet him. They had been on a whaling excursion and were towing a large dead whale to their village. In the bow of one of the boats stood a stout young man who had harpooned the whale. He looked at Kiviang keenly and Kiviang looked at him. Then, of a sudden, they recognized each other. It was Kiviang's own son, whom he had left a small boy, but who, but who was now become a grown man and a great hunter. Kiviang's wife was delighted to see him whom she had supposed dead. At first she seemed glad, and then she seemed troubled. She had taken a new husband, but after thinking it over, she returned to Kiviang and they were very happy. And that was today's tale. More than most of the ones we've covered on the podcast till now, this one held proof of the time it came from. There was no attempt to sugarcoat the gender inequality and social distress. But at the same time, there were also times where it felt like a bit of condescension crept in towards the indigenous people. I'm unsure as to how much has changed, but I'm enough of an optimist to feel like it has and for the better at that in the lands we roamed in the story. Today's music selection is again one of my own compositions, this time a solo piece titled Distraction. I'll leave a link in the YouTube bio description something. <laughs> If you're listening to this and are of Eskimo descent and or have some insight into the culture or know somebody who might know somebody, I'd love to get talking and discuss the story and its implications in the modern context. 
You can get in touch with me on Instagram on the official Foxy Podcast page at Foxy Podcast. And that goes for the rest of y'all as well. If you've got an idea regarding the podcast, a suggestion for a story or book, or just want to drop in for a chat, I'm online almost all day on Insta like I keep saying. And now, it's time for a preview. It's a time of war. Magic and might strive against each other in the Saxonic age of upheaval. A pretender is about to be dethroned and the once and future king is about to be born. A cookie and a shout out will be awarded to everyone who guesses correctly the domain which will be entering in the next episode. And that's it for this week. I'm your host with a rap boast, Izer signing off. Peace.